with the patterns of calming signals, if it's only one, if it's more, if there are pauses in between, of or if they happen quite quickly or at the same time, you can definitely say um, there are tension levels that uh, accompany it. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. A place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Terrible Country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. This episode is brought to you by Eden River Equestrian, soon to be Australia's leading sustainable horse brand. In just two weeks' time, on the 1st of May, I will be launching Phase 2 of my dream to bring consciousness on every level to the horse world through organic and sustainable products, information and community. Eden River Equestrian will be the new home for this podcast, so stay tuned for the new website and social media handles that we will transition to in May. Hopefully, all will go smoothly. In today's episode, I speak with Rachel Draisma. Rachel is the incredible woman who brought us the book on calming signals for horses. Today, she tells her story of her teachers and mentors and how she came to write the book in the first place. We find out how she went about researching for her book and how long it took her to find what she was hoping for. Rachel also has some new and very interesting research and training that she's undertaking with horses and scent tracking. It's incredible to hear what she's been able to do so far. I won't keep you from Rachel any longer. Grab a cuppa and enjoy every minute of hearing from the woman who has inspired so many, not just of us, but of all the trainers that I've interviewed so far on this program. Here is Rachel. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Tracy, for having me. I'm very looking forward to it. It is my first podcast, so I'm excited to do it. And I'm so honored that I am your first podcast. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. So can you tell me a little bit about, just in case everyone on the podcast who hasn't listened to anything before doesn't actually know what it is you do in the world, because I think most of us do, but tell me anyway a little bit about what it is that you do. I think most people would know me uh, from my book, Language, Science and Calming Signals of Horses. I've been writing it the last years and it's been published in 2017. And in the book, I set the results of my study that started in 2013. And it's a study about calming signals of horses, although it did expand and it was not only about calming signals of horses. Fantastic. And we're going to go definitely into that. But first of all, let's take a little step back. Have you always had horses as a part of your life? Did you grow up with them? Um, I think in my mind, definitely I did. Um, I know I started saving for my own horse when I was six. And I think I was a typical horse girl, um, starting riding lessons at six, mocking stalls to be able to brush them. And um, at the age of 14, um, 
I got my first new forest pony, which was absolute one of the best days of my life. And uh, I will be 50 next year. And actually, I always had a horse in my life. I know I owned my horse. And I always uh, lived with dogs as well. When I was uh, at my motherly home and now as an adult. Yeah, so animals were always around me. Wonderful. And did you leave school and study something to do with animals and horses? No, not not initially. I studied Dutch at the university and I became a writer and uh, studied marketing as well and worked at a marketing agency. And I quite clearly remember a moment because one episode in my life I studied Russian and uh, I had the Russian lesson and the teacher said like you know I work with dogs as a profession and I felt such a pang of jealousy and I thought like wow because I'm not jealous at all by nature so I thought what is happening here and I thought about and I thought like wow you know what if I would change professions and that idea struck such a chord with me and I started changing professions so I think I started in 2000 to get my diplomas to be a trainer, first for dogs and a behaviorist. And in 2003, I started my own business, working full-time as a dog trainer and behaviorist. Yeah. How did that go? What was it like for you? It was wonderful. And I was very ambitious and enthusiastic and always looking for new ways to see how I could improve and help people. And I clearly remember reading the book of Turret Brugas, my friend and mentor now, about the calming signals of dogs. And it was like an eye-opener to me that I go like, wow, a new world that was opening up and what I could see. And then there was this search of how do I implement the calming signals of dogs in my teaching methods? How will I use them? And... Um, I think I found a teaching method with dogs, which was not as traditional as other dog schools had, but was a really good startup for what I'm doing with the horses, actually. And how did that transition happen? So you said, first of all, you said that um, Turid is your friend and mentor. How did you, Yeah. how did all of that happen? Uh, actually, I read that she would be coming to Calming Science, a dog education center in the Netherlands in 2012, and I attended her um, education. And that's when we met personally. So prior to our meeting, I read her book the 10 years prior and worked with it. But then meeting her live and working with her, yeah, it, it gave me such an in-depth information and such great tools to further expand my knowledge. It was yeah, it was wonderful. Fundamental change in my life. Oh, that you so and lucky then, that you were able to do that. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then actually, Turid used to work with horses before she worked with dogs. Really? And obviously, yes, and uh, quite professionally and also with a big passion. And since my passion were horses as well, we started talking about them. And because when you work with dogs, everything you do with dogs, you will implement. You look at cats, you look at horses, you, you know, it's never in one species, right? It's a way of thinking and a way of observing. Yeah. So we were talking about that and we found our mutual passion. And when Turid asked me, like, why doesn't anyone chart the calming signals of horses? I thought that was my 
moment of queuing in and saying, now that, that is something I would really like to do in life. And that's how it started, actually. So, yeah. yeah. What happened next? So it's all well and good to have an idea. We all have loads of them. What was the first yes. <laughs> that you made this happen? So what happened for you to, what was the process of you turning an idea into this amazing reality? Um, I think it helps that I was very practical. So I thought of if I would want to do this, how can I do it that it's feasible? So I did not work with a university and I did not have, in that case, large amounts of money behind me. So I thought like, how can I make it work for me? And I thought of doing it by filming uh, with my regular telephone, actually. And that's was a good thing because I found out that horses are very habituated, domesticated horses to phones and sometimes not as well to cameras. So the phone turned out very well. So my first investment was a very good phone with the best uh, filming quality back then. And I started filming because I thought I can study semi-feral horses, but then I have to travel quite a way to to see them and observe them. And I thought like, well, that's not practical in my life and it probably will end there. So I thought if I do domesticated horses all around my neighborhood, and there's so many horses here, it's very feasible for me to do so. And uh, I just started filming, 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 filming. And, um, and then sitting in the back and analyzing them and categorizing and trying, trying to find out how to do the categorization. And well, it, it came to a working method. But it took quite a while, though, because I have been doing this for years and years. So I think my urge to find answers and to really know, or well, really know as, as if it's an absolute, which I don't know if we can say that, but the urge of finding out more about communication and horse language was so strong that it kept me going. It's almost like a puzzle, right? My seeking urge was on. And, um, well, that doesn't need to stop because we're... We only are at the beginning, I think. There's so much more to discover. Oh, that's exciting. Very yes, exciting it is. Yeah. So tell me about what it is that you found. What is a calming signal for anyone who doesn't actually know? And what is it that you, what did you find from all these recordings? Well, what I was absolutely interested in was looking at signals horses might give each other when they want to appease each other. And I wanted to know, firstly, do they exist? Because in a way, Turret has been studying these signals in dogs. And I've been working with these signals in dogs. And I knew, for instance, dogs have, have the, the yawning, the, the head turn, uh, blinking. So I was very afraid that I would be in some sort of confirmation bias. And I wanted to see things that weren't there at horses. So filming helped me with that. And when looking at films, I was just wondering, like, if one horse meets another, will they appease each other? If they don't, why not? What are differences in circumstances? And these obviously are harder questions, but it all came down to noting eyes, ears, posture of the horse, the tail posture, his body posture. And then I started to notice that uh, horses, as, as dogs and humans, use, sometimes use appeasement signals 
to prevent a conflict or a negative escalation. So, for instance, if, um, you know, maybe we can have an example with humans that is easier for people to connect with. Mm -hmm. If I live in a very small village, so if I meet people on the street, we say hello, we look in each other's eyes, we say hello, even if we don't know them. If I, lo if I go shopping in the city and I pass people and they pass me frontally, I would look away and I would turn my head a little bit and then we both walk on. The other person does the same. Now, that is something that has not been taught to me. My mother didn't tell me, like, if you're in the city and someone approaches you, you really have to turn your head and look away. No one said that to me. Uh, but it's something I do natural. And it is, in a way, I think, to prevent contact, to prevent an escalation, and to maintain a positive social bubble. Mm. And horses do the same. And obviously, if I meet my mother, I'm not going to maintain a, a positive social bubble. That's not necessary because I know we have a very good relationship and I can meet her and skip the calming signals and skip that appeasement. But in some circumstances, I do it. For instance, when I enter an elevator in a hotel and it's crammed with people and I enter, I give calming signals. I look away, I turn around, not feeling that comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these signals, the... The appeasement signals, the calming signals that horses might use to calm the other and calm themselves, those were my scope of interest. Mm. And I, yeah, I found several, which is, uh, which is and was very exciting. And so what did you do once you found them all? Mm. <laughs> Make a small dance in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. No, no, really, I was so excited. And I obviously shared it with friends. And with How sure far in we were, were you when you found this? How many hours of video did you look at? Ooh. Like a couple of hours, oh, I think, weeks or months in? Oh, no, I think a few months. I think, I think only after six or seven months of analyzing films. And I was quite frustrated in the beginning because I thought I would recognize patterns earlier in the process. And... While studying Dutch at the university, my professor always told me, if you study something and you do not, do not find results, it's still very good to keep studying because then at least someone else knows what not to do, which I thought was, you know, not very nice. But that thought was very comforting for me in the first month. So I thought like, well, just keep on going and maybe I won't find anything. But still, I have an area that has been covered by me. So it took quite a few months, actually. Yeah. And then you found it. And were you, so, were you watching videos every day for all of those months? I think five days a week, yeah, a few hours a day. Yeah. Wow. And actually up till now, I still uh, watch, I think, 20 to 25 videos a week. Yeah. Wow. And people send me in films and... And you see something on Facebook and you look at them and sometimes you question something like, hey, is it what I know it is or is it different and how is it different? So it's still, it's still a very nice thing to do mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, necessary, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, not seeing the, the signals is so, well, now I think it's maybe obvious because, for instance, the calming signal showing the flank once you see it, you can recognize it. But horses have been doing it quite a while. But if you don't give meaning to it, you, know, you will not recognize it. 
so it's such a strange thing to, do, to, to know. And people who visit my lectures say the same. They say, I cannot unsee it anymore. Mm. And that is something that is happening. Which is, And we also maybe yeah. termed it incorrectly as well. Sometimes we might have thought it was disrespect or misbehaviour. Yeah or something like that, and, and signs of um, not interested of in what it is that we're asking instead of actually seeing yeah. it for what it is. That's, I think, the most amazing Absolutely. part about it. And especially the calming signal showing hindquarters, as you say. Some people told me they were taught it was disrespect. Yep, that's true. But the body is so soft that it's not, and some people say it's a kick threat, but the calming signals of showing hindquarters is so different. It's it's with a very soft, long top line of the horse. He looks away, eyes up front to look at something else. It's it is if he's not there looking at something else. And I'm in the Netherlands now, and I'm you know looking away, pretending I'm showing you what it looks like. <laughs> obviously, you cannot see me. <laughs> <laughs> a bit strange, but <laughs> I, but you I gave it a words, very uh, good description. So I'm seeing. Yeah, okay, I hope so. And because you're doing it in actions, I think everyone listening is kind of getting it because as you're performing, okay, we're getting the, oh. the feeling of it as well. Don't worry, yeah. I saw it clearly in my head. <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, fun, yeah. And. So calming signals are essentially um, a body signal to let us know that whether or not they're able to handle a situation, whether or not they're understanding what's going on, what are they telling us with their calming signals? Well, there are some um, steps to keep in mind when you look at calming signals. And um, it also depends on the features the horse shows at that moment. So for instance, um, when I did my study, I did not use heart rate variability uh, programs or I measured cortisol or I didn't measure the eye temperature. So I can imagine if you put a heart rate variability uh, machine on the horse, you will find an elevated heart rate with every change in his environment. Mm -hmm. As Sapolsky says in his book, Behave, right? That the body always, um, sorry, if I interpreted it right, but that the body gives a reaction, the brain gives a reaction. So I think when a horse is standing tied up, someone comes with a saddle and he's frontally facing him and walking towards him. If a horse is totally relaxed and fine with it, he will not show calming signals. It might be, however, that the horse um interpreters the frontal fast approach as a little bit too fast maybe impolite and he might show a calming signal to calm the handler who approaches him and maybe to reduce his own tension by doing so and by doing that calming signal it can be a blink it can be a chew it can be a tongue out chew um, he might restore to a very relaxed um homeostasis again because it was a reaction to the frontal approach it might also be that you will see a calming signal same horse tied up frontal approach shows a calming signal uh, the person the handler is stacking him and the tension is building up more and more and then you can see the features of the horse changing he's getting 
a little bit more tense. Maybe his nostrils open, eyes open, maybe a little bit tense in the muscle, the mouth, uh, lips clench. And then you might see more calming signals coming through and through. And um, then you might say the horse is still trying to appease and trying to calm himself, but he has more elevated tension. So to say, to say what he means to say is a little bit hard because we never know, mm-hmm. but I definitely can say that with the patterns of calming signals, if it's only one, if it's more, if there are pauses in between, or, or if they happen quite quickly or at the same time, you can definitely say um, there are tension levels that uh, accompany it. And uh, that is, I think, very useful. I don't, is that an answer to your question? Absolutely. And it's okay. so helpful to understand these things. What happens if we know nothing about calming signals um, and we force the saddle on the horse anyway? Obviously, it depends on your horse. And uh, most horses will cope and they will get out and they will get ridden. And um, But I would say if I would look at the horse, I might see some underlying tension. And if we would work with the uh, calming signals and we would notice it and we would respond to it by maybe taking a break, making a calming signal, noticing what, what is hard for the horse, maybe the frontal approach, we can make a program out of it, a training program or a socialization program. You can um, adjust the horse to our way of living or maybe adapt your behavior as well and skip the problem for the horse and maybe do a small t- curve towards the horse with the saddle in a, in a less uh, quick approach, which uh, will make him comfortable enough and which will make him fine. So I think using or recognizing the calming signals and acting upon them um, is a tool to lessen the tension with the horse and uh, making sure he well at least try to give him positive emotion with the things we are doing in the human world. And you talk about a positive learning climate. Is that what you're meaning by a positive experience and positive emotions or is the positive learning climate something different? Yeah, I think I connect positive learning climate towards positive emotions. And with a positive emotion, I uh, always practice myself to, uh, if I'm practicing with a horse and I stop at any minute, I would love him to look at me and say like, hey, what's next? As if we are watching and playing a game or watching television. So a lot of people I find sometimes think their horse is very obedient and uh, very satisfied with life. And I, and this is not all horses, right? Mm-hmm. Only a percentage. I see that are disconnected and standing there with a very dull eye, not engaging. And I would like with a positive learning climate that a horse would approach me uh, if I'm doing something and I stop that he looks at me like, what's going on uh, or that he's so relaxed looking at the environment and looking what's going on and, and it's not bothered at all in, in which what I'm doing. 
So that to me is a positive learning climate. Mm. And we talk a yeah. bit about um, like a learned helplessness almost. Is that what you're talking about mm. with a dull eye where the horse is um, just not responding? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And But there are many uh, is, is steps or... I'm looking for the word and I'm tending, I'm tempted to use a Dutch word and pronounce it in English, but I don't know. I don't know if it exists, but gradations, but it's like there are many steps of learned helplessness, of course. And I think a horse that is really depressed and then learned helplessness, if, if you start working with it, uh, one of the characteristics is that it's um, very hard for him to take initiative. So if I would make an enriched environment for him or if I would do, want to do nose work with him, there's a really big threshold for him to open up to explore, um, which obviously is, is he's in a very bad state. But you also have a disconnection within very small moments. And the horse in the different circumstances is attentive and is willing to cooperate. So there are many uh, yeah, many different levels of learned helplessness mm. to, to, to my view. Yeah. But you don't want to have it, obviously. Absolutely. And you found that by understanding calming signals, um, you can free them from learned helplessness. Is that a word that would be used? Um. I don't think it frees them from learned helplessness, but I will, I can recognize the moments that are hard for them and I can change them. And I think if a horse uh, is used to learned helplessness, I think working with enriched environments and working with programs that empower them to be able to handle stimuli in the environment by themselves is a very, very good tool as well hand-in-hand hand with with uh, looking at the body posture and the features and all that. Yeah, mm, yeah build self-esteem. Yeah. So how Absolutely, did you, yeah. how did you transition then from watching these videos over months, understanding that you had something with calming signals? What was the next step for you? Because now you've got a lot of different variables. You've found learned helplessness and things like that as well. What did you do once you found calming signals in horses? What was the next step for you? Mm. I think it was slowly expanding um, practical practice with horses who had problems. And I did that. And obviously, I did do a lot of writing to get my book on the market. Uh, and this is very egocentric thinking of me. But I could not believe that I was one of the first that would be able to publish it. So I thought, I really have to be quick doing this. So writing was also one of my uh, uh, well activities in those days. Yeah, and um, and practicing with horses. And one of the things I'm really doing a lot also is the scent work with horses. And scent work you can think of man trailing, where I'm teaching a horse to follow a footstep trail to follow lost persons. Uh, or a lost food bag. Wow. And that is something that is amazing to do. And it helps the horses a lot to, to uh, well, find a new way in life and, and regain a lot of happiness. And it's a wonderful, wonderful tool to do. Yeah. Following a scent. But, 
yeah. like a smell. But bear in mind, before I forget, mm -hmm. and I really have to do this because I'm so enthusiastic talking with you. Good. Um, the underlying foundation of this was in Turret's education, International Doctrinus education, and it was in Annalyn, Annalyn Kram's nosework education. And I build it upon that because I really want to acknowledge that at all because I would feel it horrible to not having said that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those who gave you the inspiration yeah. and foundation absolutely. for this incredible work, yeah. definitely. And then to ad adapt it. And same goes with the, the scent trailing because it's, uh, to me, it is uh, also, but that's a little bit of a different subject. I don't. Yes, do I, you want mind if I... I want to hear more about it. Oh, okay. I'm fascinated. Oh, okay. Uh, what I find, well, mesmerizing with scent training is that it gives so many tools for our daily living. What you can think of scent trailing is, for instance, when you uh, teach a horse to follow a footstep trail. And you can imagine a horse used to be a, 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 an animal that would search for food, for for water, for herbs, he would know what to eat and what not to eat. So searching would be a very big part of his life, searching for family members, sexual partners. Mm -hmm. And we don't use that, that search uh, seeking system. We don't use it that much. And when you start, well, teaching them sounds a little bit arrogant, right? Because they already have the ability, but some of them forgot a little bit. They don't use the nose anymore. It's like reawakening. Yeah, really. And if they start to use it again, they get so enthusiastic. And I, I find that searching is very helpful in my, my work with horses. So, for instance, a horse with separation anxiety who doesn't want to leave the herd, I would do many search games with him um, so that he would know how, how much fun it is to do something by himself. And searching produce a lot of dopamine in the brain. So it's a feel-good thing to do. It makes them concentrate longer. You can, the socialization goes very well because they smell objects, they smell the environment. Um, bodily, it's very, very good because they do it with very active relaxation. So you can imagine when a horse searches, his, his nose is on the ground and he walks in active relaxation. So you have a very lengthened uh, neck and back and his back is stretched, his hind legs go under, his front lefts are a little bit lifted, and everything is really loose and, and swagging. And that is um, very, very good for them physically as well. Mm -hmm. But mentally, I also found that um, uh, searching is very calming for them. So if I would have a warm blood horse that is a little bit spooky and is a professional dressage horse, and if I do scent work with him twice a week, the other days as well, he isn't as spooky. He's more calm and more cooperative. So it does do something in the brain, which is, I don't know yet what it is, but in practice, I can see it. So um, absolute great tool. Yeah. That's fascinating. And does it also make the horse more... Um inquisitive about its world around it so instead of seeing something as big and scary over there does it make it the more um, confident and calm and being able to approach something new 
yes, but also within limits, obviously, because if it would have been something he's never seen that's really over threshold, then probably search will not help. Yeah. But if if you do a lot of enriched environments and a lot of searching and he sees something new and I say, oh, well, just look for search or, or have a have a go, then then he will switch it on and he will go searching. They get more curious, which mm -hmm. is an absolute benefit. Yeah, I yeah. can see how it's got so many positives. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us But also Yeah. Yeah. No, you go. No what I was also thinking, but it is also about finding a new balance a bit though. Because you give them an enriched environment, you give them freedom to explore. So some horses can also be like, oh, yes, I love life. And then you go like, oh, but now you have to listen to me also. So there can be a little bit of a gray area where you have to set boundaries that you go to me with my horse, for instance. I, um, uh, I had this idea of giving him a choice that day to say like, okay, whatever you want to do, you can do. And I think I'm quite patient, but after he, it was near a forest, so he could have walked in the forest, he could have eaten grass, he could have gone to horses, he could have done whatever he wanted. And the next three and a half hours, he ate grass, and I was standing next to him, <laughs> and I was so bored. And then I thought, like, okay, this idea is wonderful, but not for me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, uh, I, I give cues, and I give a cue like, okay, your turn, and he can take lead while walking in the forest or while riding, choosing a way or while investigating. And when I say, okay, my turn, then we do the things I want to do. Because with my horse, I needed that balance and that clearance. Yep. But that's relationship as well, isn't it? It's collaboration. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. True. It, true. Yeah. 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 That's very normal. And can you, so I could see how this would be done in a dog. I could see how you would use scents yeah. and you could train them. Can you talk me through how you train a horse to do this? In simple terms? Uh, in I, simple I, terms. I can see it um, happening, but I, I can't in my yeah, mind yeah. see how would I, I would actually yeah. do the step. Well, the most simple things to do when searching, and I think everyone did that at one point in their life, is throwing a piece of food in the pasture where they can look, treat search. Mm -hmm. That is not a problem at all. You can make a scent garden where you can put all kinds of scents in the pasture where they can smell, mm. but you have to dilute it very, very much with water uh, because otherwise they avoid the scent. And if you do the man trailing, um, I'm a little bit hesitant to tell the steps while well, I'll do it. Uh, I will give you anyhow because I give a day lecture about it with a lot of films because it is a little bit more tricky yeah. to teach it the right but way. But if you give us but an idea, don't give us all the whole yeah. thing because it takes a whole day no, no. to teach it. Give yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. but, but the main difference with horses and dogs is that a dog uses his eyes and his nose mm -hmm. quite, quite frequently. And a horse, when starting this, uh, some of them don't use their nose. So if you would only use sight and then, for instance, have a food bag, have sight and then pull it out of sight and you think like, oh, if he doesn't see it, he will use his nose. That in very often, in very many cases, will not happen. A dog will think like, oh, I cannot see it. Let's use my nose and I'll find it. And a horse will see, oh, I cannot see it. Well, leave it. So when I start man trailing, I start with smell only. And I bury a bag of food with an opening, 
and I place the horse quite close to it. I have a small white cloth where he can uh, have a starting point. And then I use the wind and I hope he gets the wind and the smell of the bag and he goes towards the bag and finds the bag. And then within steps, there is this moment where he cannot smell the apples anymore. And then he figures out, hey, the footsteps go to the apples or the food bag or the person. Wow. And then you lengthen and straps the foot bag, the footsteps and the trail. But one thing, though, to keep in mind is that horses um, are so different than dogs because a well-socialized dog, if they see their owner, they are happy. Even if their life isn't that, that well, they're happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a horse sometimes, when they find their owner or see their owner, they turn away because they or they think, oh, there's someone hiding behind the bushes. Looks like my owner, but I don't know for sure. And they will turn away. So you have to do uh, much more work to get them accustomed towards people hiding. Because if you want to train them for searching for lost persons, the lost persons might be hiding behind a tree or within a bush. And that is obviously uh, something that scares them in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. it's... it's um because they're um, they're prey animals as well, and they're thinking about is this a threat and things like that. You're, you're kind yeah. of switching yeah. those things off or, or turning them around in a way and getting them to be inquisitive yeah. and go towards it. It's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, you're absolutely right on that one. Yeah, and yeah. but a great game to do. Really great game. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like also with. Fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. How long does it so take all different to teach your horse that? So how long would it take you to teach your horse? Like you, you teach people how to do it in a day. But if, say, I was to do your day course and then I was to start it with my horse, can you teach them that kind of thing? Um, well, the thing with scenting is that it's quite tiring. So you cannot have lengthened sessions. Mm. So you would have, in the beginning, short sessions of a few minutes per, per go. So maybe in the morning a short session or in the afternoon. Or if I work with my clients, I would have uh, twice a week. That would be ideally. And uh, we would take uh, two sessions of six minutes maybe. Mm -hmm. That was it. And obviously when they are more uh, advanced, they can concentrate longer. They can trade longer. Then they can have longer trails and they can concentrate and search for 15 or 20 minutes on a row. But in the beginning that is very hard for them Um, but I think within most of the time within eight or nine sessions you can have them follow a scent trail of about in the arena of about 15 meters and with two curves in it fantastic but a horse that is really tired or a horse that's chronically stressed uh, it's very hard for them to uh, find the mental calmness to do the search so the seven or eight times is with a horse that is relatively calm and in a good homeostasis Mm. it's really interesting that you you started studying and found calming signals but now you've found another thing that you can do with horses that actually to helps to calm them it's amazing yeah but actually to me it is it is the uh how do you say that in Dutch, we have this wonderful word, I don't know in English, but it's one of the 
foundations of my working with ho horses because it's um, right in line with the calming signals because the calming signals is a way to really uh, assess and adjust and see what the horse can handle with all the wishes in our daily work. And you really want to find something that, well, gives them a very good balance in life, emotionally, uh, mentally, physically. And looking at calming signals and working with calming signals, um, working with scent and working with enriched environments does all that as well. And I think it's a new tool to implement within trainings and within behavioral consultations as well. Because I can, you can work with a horse with separation anxiety, with seeking, with trailing, when looking at body language, and then solve the problem. Uh, a horse that uh, has problems with uh, new stimuli or saddles, you can combine looking at calming signals and the way uh, you treat as a human and make a, a program about that. And you can make an enrichment program for the horse to be uh, more empowered and more able to handle stimuli. Mm -hmm. So to me, it is um, one package deal, the enriched environments, the scenting and the calming signals mm -hmm. when working. Absolutely. Yeah. And the enriched environments, yeah. is that what you were talking about with um, planting the garden and things like that? Yeah, the scent garden is something that is with the use of uh, smells that you make an enrichment. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's a beautiful word, but it's enrichment for me is finding a lot of trash and um, using it wisely to make a program for your horse to get curious and wanting to investigate. So you find safe items and you place them in the arena or in the pasture. You guide the horse in and then you, you're like the director, right? You try to find stuff that are uh, stimulating him to investigate should not be too easy, but should definitely not be too hard. Mm -hmm. And the perfect session would be that he truly enjoys it and investigates. And maybe even more perfect would be that he finds something a little bit hard and he goes over his own threshold and investigates and finds himself the best horse in the world to be able to do it by himself. So there are steps in that as well. You can have different materials on the floor. You can have different materials hanging. Uh, in the wind, you can have um, different materials that make noises. You can incorporate games that involve noise. Because a lot of times, horses get spooked because noises are happening and sounds are happening to them. But if they create sounds and they understand where sounds come from, um, that can help them as well. So, for instance, I have a game with a lot of crates. You start obviously with one crate and maybe a few plastic bottles in them, and uh, you put an apple in it, and the horse can find the apple by pushing the plastic bottles away, which obviously makes a noise. Then you can, at the end, in steps, create a lot of crates with objects in them, and the horse can push the crates to the floor to get to the apple. And every time he pushes a crate to the floor, uh, it makes a noise. Mm. So then he knows, like falling bottles make this noise. Hey, the cans of beer make that noise, and they shimmer like that. And um, and that's a good tool as well. So I use enriched environments a lot. Yep. 
That's also to assess horses and to see how curious they are, how brave, how they, how they do need help from the owner or if they skip the owner. And that's, yeah, that's a wonderful tool to use. Yeah. Amazing. You also say that yeah. you use no punishments or any form of force when working. Tell me more about that. Um, let's see if I can have a practical example. Well, I think I always try to find solutions without having to need to get the flight instinct after. And I do not want to, and if you do not want to provoke a flight instinct, you will not use maybe whips or uh, spurs or anything painful. So I try to uh, find solutions in that way. But I'm thinking if I can find a practical example mm. of one way and the other. Well, maybe, for instance, riding out. Mm -hmm. If I would ride out and my horse is scared about something, I would not spur him and whip him to pass it because maybe you're in a group and you feel embarrassed that your horse is the only one standing still and having trouble, I would ask the others to wait. I would ask maybe if we're in a rush, maybe ask another horse to be a splitter or have my horse within the group that he feels safe enough to pass. If I would be alone, I would wait for him to take his time to be comfortable enough to investigate. Or if that would not work, I might get off and walk with him be the splitter while walking or if it would be really 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 too hard I would turn around and go home uh, and I would obviously remember what, what the scary thing was to make a program so it's not about avoidance but it's about how can I while riding get a positive uh, emotion and uh, as less stress as possible and then train and obviously there is a misunderstanding that people think like, oh, uh, you should avoid stress all times. I don't think that at all. I mean, uh, having new stimuli around you is, gives so much joy in life and it's needed for humans, for dogs, for people to feel nice. I mean, if my life would be the same every day, I would feel so bored. Yeah. Uh, but it's all about grow. balance. It's, it's about growth yeah. as well. We can't grow yeah. unless we get into an uncomfortable place yeah. in ourselves. And Absolutely. Absolutely. But it is about balance, isn't it? And if there was a, if, if a horse had a day that he went to a fair or that you went to a competition, uh, maybe it takes him one, two days to recover and be in total homeostasis again. Um, and then you can say, okay, let's do something else. And if you went away on a contest on Sunday, maybe do something very simple on Monday, something simple on Tuesday, and do something harder on Wednesday again. It's all about balancing out the week. Mm. is that a that's a great answer and what i love answer. is that it's there's so much more um with the work that you're doing and all the people before you have done to lead you to this about just understanding it, it really is an understanding that horses get scared of stuff and they have a threshold yeah. and they just can't go past it and they just need yeah. support and calmness and someone who yep. understands to help them get through it 
and um, a stronger bit is uh, and a, and a bigger whip, and you know forcing them through it doesn't really lead to an inquisitive, open, happy horse. No, no, and in a way that is uh, also a choice, isn't it? On how do we want to have a relationship with our horse? Because there are a lot of people who would say, well, if I would use the whip of the spurs and I do it more often, my horse gets used to it. And obviously, when a horse has a very light fear and you would spur him on, he would do it, maybe in some circumstances. He would pass that object while I was where I was talking about a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there is then that point of habituation that, that he will cope and then the rider says, like, see, that spur and that whip was really necessary because now he, he did cope. And I think with light fears, he might have a point. But to me, why do that? It's an ethical choice then as well not to do it. And with, with animals with bigger fear, it, to me, it always creates a negative learning, um, learning climate and also a negative impact on your relationship. So it would not be my choice. Yeah, and that's what I love yeah. about the work that you're doing. It gets us to really stop and think of our horse's yeah. point of view. What kind of relationship do we want with our horse? Is it a collaboration or is it a dominant yeah. one? Um, because you yeah. can have both yeah. and you can be perceived as being successful in both and it's your choice as to which one it is you would yeah. want to go forward with. And Absolutely, yeah. And more and more people are becoming disillusioned with the horse world and the traditional ways simply because we say, this isn't how I imagined it when I was a kid. This is no, the relationship I wanted. You know, I didn't want to get bucked off. I didn't want to be scared of horses. You know, there's so many yeah. people who go in thinking, yes, this is great. They go for all the lessons. They do what they're told. They get bucked off and they have fear for their yeah. life. And it doesn't have to be that way. There, there is this amazing no. work coming out. Thank you to you and the people before you. Where we oh, thank you. Yeah. And have what it is uh, that we want. It's amazing. Yeah, and I so agree with you because I meet so many people who really want to be in harmony with the horse, but it's sometimes so hard. And we all have the feeling that you have a wonderful plan and something goes wrong and you feel very, very bad the whole day. And the day after, everything goes smoothly and you feel so happy because we all... Have that urge, don't, don't you think that we really want to connect with a, in a pleasant way with our animal? It is yeah. the reason so we're right there in, in the first place. It is, we yeah. all have. I think every horse yeah. person has those dreams when they're a kid. And if they had horses when yeah. they were kids, it wasn't about, you know, the test or the event that they went to. It was about hanging out with their pony under a tree yeah. on their back, you know, eating apples together and um Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, taking yeah. off and if you were lucky jumping a few trees on the way home, you know, it was never yeah. about the competition. It was about that feeling of no. freedom and oneness that you got when you're a child. And so yeah. many of us desperately want that, but we haven't had um until now um, until these years and, and the type of work that you and many others now, thanks to you guys, are doing, we haven't had a way. And I think there's been a lot of frustration in finding the way, but I'm just so glad that it's here. Ah, thank you so much for it, yeah. And I think you're so right. There's so many people now looking for that meaningful relationship. I mean, and, and do justice to the animal. I mean, yeah, I meet many, many people. 
and uh, that's one of the advantages I would say to my life now is when I get invited and, and meeting other professionals we're all, almost all on the same quest and that is such a wonderful thing to look forward to in the future yeah, yeah it really is and, and you put you know owning a horse is not a cheap um or or short amount of time in your life it takes a lot of time um to have horses yeah. and to put work into it and money into them you know to make sure they're getting all the care and and everything's okay with them so if we're having that you really want to get something special out of it yeah. as, as in that um, collaboration and relationship and this kind of work really allows us to have that true and i, and I do think uh, i also think also with the calming signals and if you start using the calming signals in your work as profession you can also do it when you're a professional rider or you have a professional stable selling off horses because i sometimes get the feeling that people think oh it's only for the people who want to walk the horse and do nothing but the horse anyhow but the knowledge of the calming signals, working with the calming signals, uh, building enriched environments, doing scent trails. It's worth for every horse and every horse owner and every stable because they can, well, all horses benefit from it. Yeah, whether they're, you know, yeah. top of the world competition Absolutely. horses down to, yeah. you know, the, the hacking out once every couple of weeks horse, I think everyone Yeah, true. Benefit. True. Yeah. And is there anything else that you're finding, studying, looking into at the moment that you uh, you want to give us a little snippet? Oh, uh, um, well, at the moment, I, I have I have assumptions. I'm very, but a lot of not a lot, but a few research are really looking into it. I'm so excited about that. But I'm personally very interested in the differences. In posture of the horse and official expressions between pain, lear learned helplessness, and tiredness. Those three can uh, look the same, but obviously they're quite different. Yeah. So that will be a big point of interest to me. And um, on, very, on a very, very detailed level, I'm very interested in looking at mouth seams. That I have the assumption that when a horse is getting into flight mode, that its mouth seems getting longer. Sometimes it's shorter. So that is something that is an interest to me. Um, and there's still so many questions I have. Um, for the coming period, I am working on my day to give a lecture in June. It's all about the mental stimulation and the scent work. And I hope to write a book about that one. And um, I also hope to write some practical weekends for people who want to practice all the things I write because there's so much more to tell about practicing with calming signals. And I had a set pages in my book and it could not exceed those pages, but there's so much more to tell about practicing with horses and using the calming signals. So I would love to expand that as well. But as you know, there are only so many hours a day, so it's... Uh, uh, just continuing working, but it's a labor of love, so that it's no problem at all. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Yeah. And we certainly look forward to all of the things that you're going to bring forth. Oh, thank you. It's, it's extraordinary. And uh, I did say to you uh, before we started recording um, the amount of people on this podcast who actually reference your work and who 
um, how your book has inspired them to do so much in the horse world. It's, it's extraordinary what it is that you've done. And I can tell you from personal experience of the people that I've spoken to, your work has made a real difference in the horse world. It's, it's amazing. Oh, so thank you for that everything is, that you've done. Oh, thank you so, so much. I feel so blessed and honored to hear that because, because in a way, as I told you, I'm living in Millsbeek in a small city and you don't hear that very often. And I live my life and do my thing. So it's quite uh, special to hear that it influences so many people, even at the other side of the world to me. In, yeah, so, in all, yeah. And because yeah. now we have these medium yeah. like books and podcasts and online yeah. learning, it is you are literally getting to almost every corner of the world, yeah. Um, yeah. which is just the best thing ever there's so many people out there who don't know what to do and who don't like what's around them and they can access this kind of work so you really are penetrating the horse world in such a fantastic and wonderful way and a lot bigger than you think as well so um thank you rachel so much for your time today but mostly thank you so much for everything you've done and will do in the future as well i look forward to um keeping an eye on what it is that you're doing and, and getting you on again to speak about oh, new things that you're thinking you. and finding because you're preaching to a converted audience here. We love the work you do. Oh, what, oh, wonderful. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about my study. I hope I didn't talk too fast because I got too enthusiastic, but uh, I, I love to share, well, my passion. And it's lovely to talk to you and you have the same passion. So then talking goes goes fluently right it does it does it was very very nice you most certainly did not talk too fast but you were absolutely fascinating and hearing your story (laughs) was just magic and i know the listeners are going to love it as much as i did so thank Uh, you so much i hope so thank you very much tracy to connect with rachel simply go to the show notes and click the links there I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine. So please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.